0: This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson, bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Pope Francis, the faithful need clear teaching which is consistent with church doctrine. On March 19, 2013, Pope Francis became the Supreme Pontiff of the Holy Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church replacing the recently retired Pope Benedict XVI. Since that time, he has spoken in a voice so equivocal as to leave theologians and scholars confused and uncertain. Many times, it has appeared that the Pope is more interested in punishing faithful Catholics than he is in struggling against heresy and agnosticism. In this podcast... Two eminent scholars, Mr. Luis Sergio Solomeo and Mr. Jose Antonio Areta, describe the often confusing words and actions of Pope Francis. First, Mr. Solomeo asks a multi-part question that considers Pope Francis's recent words about the Second Vatican Council. In his essay, Pope Francis says, If you're not with the Council, then you're not with the Church. And the Council? Is it with the church? On January 30th, speaking to Italian bishops about catechesis, Pope Francis suddenly changed the subject and talked about the Second Vatican Council. He stated, quote, The council is the magisterium of the church. Either you are with the church and therefore follow the council, and if you do not follow the council, or interpret it in your own way as you wish, you are not with the Church." More than 50 years since the Council ended, this is the first time that a pope has ever made such a statement. It was done off the cuff, as the Argentine pope likes to do, departing from the prepared text he was reading. This statement is extremely serious, because theologians and scholars have shown ambiguities and errors in Vatican II since that assembly came to an end. This notwithstanding, according to Pope Francis, anyone who shows that some Vatican II texts cannot be reconciled with the Church's perennial teaching and refuses to accept the new doctrines out of fidelity to the faith of the ages would be tantamount to excommunicated. Can that be true? No, one cannot be excluded from the church for being faithful to her infallible teaching. The burden of proof that the new doctrines do not contradict infallible dogma lies with the innovators. In this article, we will consider just one example of the contradictions to illustrate how this burden has not been met. Vatican II is sui generis in that it's supposedly a quote-unquote pastoral, not a dogmatic council. In fact, it neither condemned errors nor proclaimed truths of the faith. In its opening speech on October eleventh, 1962, Pope John Twenty-Third made clear that the council's teaching would be quote-unquote mainly pastoral and that Catholic doctrine quote was to be studied and expounded by the council by using modern methods of research and the literary forms of modern thought, unquote. At the same time, the Pope said that the council would not condemn modern errors, but employ, quote, unquote, the medicine of mercy instead of the, quote, unquote, weapons of rigor against them. On closing the council, Paul VI declared that in it, quote, the teaching authority of the church had not wished to issue extraordinary dogmatic pronouncements, unquote. Furthermore, in the January 12, 1966 general audience, Paul VI reaffirmed that, quote, given the pastoral character of the council, it avoided pronouncing in an extraordinary way dogmas endowed with the note of infallibility but it nevertheless endowed its teachings with the authority of the Supreme Ordinary Magisterium, unquote. Again, at the March 8, 1967 general audience, the same pontiff confirmed that the council had, as one of its programmed items, quote, not to issue new solemn dogmatic definitions, unquote. Therefore, Vatican II chose to avoid using that infallibility which obliges the faithful to accept what is defined under pain of falling into heresy and automatic expulsion from the church. It is true that the church's ordinary magisterium must also be accepted. However, this teaching does not enjoy infallibility per se, and therefore, can contain errors and affirm something opposed to doctrine that has already been taught infallibly. When an accurate examination in the light of traditional doctrine proves the ordinary teaching to be an error, it must be rejected. Now, Vatican II's Ordinary Magisterium contradicts previous infallible magisterium on important points. As mentioned above, Following the express wish of John XXIII, the Council used modern philosophies. It did this despite Pius XII's warning, quote, It is evident that such attempts to allow dogma to be expressed with modern philosophy concepts not only leads to what they call dogmatic relativism, but that they actually contain it, unquote. The basis of dogmatic relativism is the denial of absolute truth and its complete distinction from error. According to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, quote, relativism, roughly put, is the view that truth and fallacy, right and wrong, standards of reasoning, and procedures of justification are products of differing conventions and frameworks of assessment and that their authority is confined to the context giving rise to them, Relativism is what explains the statement by John XXIII that the council would not issue condemnations. There being no absolute truths, the church, which previously condemned errors, now dialogues with them. A doctrinal truth where this relativism stands out most clearly is one's need of the church to attain salvation. This truth of the faith was taught by church fathers and doctors from the earliest times and reiterated by councils and countless popes. Pope Gregory Sixteenth, 1831-1846, to attests to this in his encyclical Sumo Iugiterre. May twenty seventh, 1832. He affirms that this quote-unquote article of faith was taught quote by the ancient fathers in an almost infinite number unquote. He mentions that among others quote Saint Gregory the Great who clearly states that this was the doctrine of the Catholic Church. He states that the Holy Universal Church proclaims that God cannot be duly adored except within it. Therefore, whoever finds himself outside it will absolutely not be able to save himself. Unquote. He continues, quote, There are also solemn documents of the church announcing the same dogma. The Decree on Faith, promulgated by our predecessor, Innocent III, with the assent of the Fourth Lateran Ecumenical Council, reads, One in truth is the universal church of the faithful. Outside of it, no one can save himself in any way, unquote. He adds, quote, Finally, the same dogma is found expressly in the professions of faith, proposed by the apostolic see unquote. "Therefore Gregory the 16th concludes quote, "whoever finds himself outside of it will absolutely not be able to save himself" unquote. This is therefore an infallible truth Pius the 12th 1939 to 1958 approved the August 8, 1949 letter from the Sacred Congregation of the Holy Office to the Archbishop of Boston, quote, Now among these things which the Church has always preached and will never cease to preach is contained also that infallible statement by which we are taught that there is no salvation outside the Church, unquote. However, The same Pius XII, and before him also Pius IX, 1846-1878, explained that those who are outside the body of the church by invincible ignorance but live by the natural moral law, have charity, and a burning desire to obey God are somehow related to the church and can obtain salvation. To be saved those in heretical or schismatic sects or paganism must be there only materially, i.e., without giving a formal adherence to the error and revolt they contain. As Pius IX warns, it is impossible to obtain eternal glory by, quote, living in error and alienated from the true faith and Catholic unity, unquote. Lumen genitum, L.G., Vatican II's dogmatic constitution on the Church, is the Council's most important document, since our religion hinges on what the Catholic Church is. While saying that there is no salvation outside the Church in practice, L.G. denies this doctrine by presenting the Church as somehow linked with all religions, which it sees as sanctifying and salvific. In Article 14, L.G. clearly states that the church, quote, is necessary for salvation, unquote, and quote, whoever therefore knowing that the Catholic Church was made necessary by Christ would refuse to enter or remain in it could not be saved, unquote. However, the very next section contradicts this statement. Referring to those who, quote, do not profess the faith in its entirety, or do not preserve unity of communion with the successor of Peter, i.e., heretics and schismatics. Unquote. LG asserts that the Holy Spirit quote, is operative among them with his sanctifying power, strengthening many to the extent of the shedding of their blood. Unquote. Unitatis reintegratio. The Council's decree on ecumenism goes even further by claiming that the Holy Spirit acts not only on individuals in the state of invincible ignorance, but does so through churches separated from the Catholic Church. Indeed, it says, quote, it follows that the separated churches and communities as such the Spirit of Christ has not refrained from using them as a means of salvation which derive their efficacy from the very fullness of grace and truth entrusted to the church. Unquote. If people can sanctify themselves and even become martyrs outside the church, and if heretical and schismatic sects can serve as quote unquote means of salvation— What remains of the doctrine that there is no salvation outside the church? It becomes a meaningless, vacuous formula. Nevertheless, this new conception in LG contradicts church magisterium as clearly stated by the Council of Florence. The council, it fully believes, professes, and proclaims that those not living within the Catholic Church Not only pagans, but also Jews and heretics and schismatics cannot become participants in eternal life, but will depart into everlasting fire which was prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew, chapter 25, verse 41 unless before the end of life the same have been added to the flock, and that the unity of the ecclesiastical body is so strong that only those remaining in it are the sacraments of the church of benefit for salvation, and do fastings, almsgiving, and other functions of piety and exercises of Christian service produce eternal reward, and that no one, Whatever almsgiving he has practiced, even if he has shed blood for the name of Christ, can be saved, unless he has remained in the bosom and unity of the Catholic Church. Pius XII teaches that the Holy Spirit does not sanctify outside of the Church. Finally, while by his grace he, the Holy Spirit, provides for the continual growth of the Church, He yet refuses to dwell through sanctifying grace in those members that are wholly severed from the body, unquote. The Holy Spirit grants people graces of conversion to give up error and join the church because, in the present order that is, after Jesus consummated the redemption and founded his church, sanctifying graces are given in function of the Church. As the Jesuit theologian Ludovico Lercher emphasizes, In the present order, no supernatural grace is given, except in order to the Church of Christ. For this reason, the Holy Spirit impels and helps men to come to the knowledge of the truth and then be incorporated as members of the Church. In Article 16, L.G. says that the Church is quote, "unquote" related with the Jewish people, "quote" from whom Christ was born according to the flesh, and that it remains most dear to God. "unquote" Nostra Atate the Council's Declaration on the Relation of the Church with Non-Christian Religions says that the Jewish people who received the Old Covenant remain beloved by God because of the patriarchs, and that, quote, the spiritual patrimony common to Christians and Jews is thus so great, unquote. Yet, between the Old Testament people of Israel and present-day Judaism, there was a rupture, represented by the rejection of Jesus Christ, the very reason for God's promise and covenant with the Jewish people. In his encyclical, Corporis Christi, Pope Pius XII states, By the death of our Redeemer, the New Testament took the place of the old law, which had been abolished, unquote. Further ahead, he states that, quote, on the cross, then, the old law died, soon to be buried and to be a bearer of death, unquote. LG goes on to say that the, quote, plan of salvation also includes the Muslims, who professing to hold the faith of Abraham, along with us, adore the one and merciful God, unquote. How is it possible for Christians to worship together with Muslims a God who, for us, is Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one God, and for them is Unitarian? How can we worship with them when they regard the blessed Trinity as polytheism that the sword must exterminate? L.G. explains that those who do not know the gospel through no fault of their own can also attain salvation. That is possible, as we have seen, when they are merely passive infidels who practice the natural moral law and by an act of love for God are linked to the church, quote-unquote, by desire. L.G. goes on to state that the necessary help for salvation is also received by those who, quote, Without blame on their part, have not yet arrived at an explicit knowledge of God, therefore atheists, but who, with His grace, strive to live a good life. Whatever good or truth is found amongst them is looked upon by the Church as a preparation for the Gospel. LG's Doctrine on the Church completed by Unitatis Redintegratio on ecumenism and Nostra Aetate on dialogue with non-Christian religions, did not remain in the abstract but was put into practice. One of the many examples of this was the inter-religious gathering at Assisi on October 27, 1986. It saw the presence of 32 Christian and 11 non-Christian groups. Christian and pagan prayers were said and ceremonies held. In practice, many post-conciliar events have denied the dogma that there is no salvation outside the church. Pope Francis doctrinally denied this dogma in signing the document on human fraternity at the Abu Dhabi Interreligious Meeting of February 4, 2019, which, Unequivocally affirms that God wills, quote, the pluralism and diversity of religions, unquote. By dogmatizing everything that Vatican II affirms and, quote, unquote, excommunicating those who do not accept its new doctrines, Pope Francis contradicts the, quote, unquote, spirit of the Council and the express intentions of the Pope who opened that ecclesiastical assembly and the one who closed it. The errors mentioned above. Notably, the Council texts that contradict the Catholic doctrine that there is no salvation outside the Church, and this dogma's practical denial in the ecumenical implementation of this Council teaching cannot be accepted. Confident in the intervention of Mary Most Holy, who in Fatima promised the triumph of her Immaculate Heart, we remain faithful to the Catholic doctrine always taught by the Fathers and Doctors of the Church, the Pope's and the Councils. This is the conclusion of Pope Francis says, if you're not with the Council, then you're not with the Church. And the Council? Is it with the Church? The confusion spread by Pope Francis extends to many other teachings and practices. On very few other issues has he been more equivocal than on subjects related to homosexuality. Sometimes he states that such practice is, in and of itself, sinful. On other occasions, he appears to tolerate them in ways that are inconsistent with his role as head of Holy Mother Church. Mr. José Antonio Jureta asks for clarity in his essay, Let Pope Francis Speak Out. months, there have been increasing news reports of Catholic prelates speaking out in favor of ceremonies blessing same-sex union. Two of the most recent such statements come from the recently appointed Archbishop of Dublin, Ireland, and the Bishop of Mainz, Germany. Both hypocritically added that they support these ceremonies as long as they do not convey the impression of a wedding. For his part, Pope Francis has spoken out for the legal recognition of same-sex unions, but nothing about eventually giving these unions a religious blessing. Now, a scandalous event in his native Argentina no longer allows the pontiff's cautious silence to linger. The Argentine newspaper La Voz reports that on February 6th, a male and a quote-unquote transgendered man, acting as a woman, got married in the church quote, during a religious ceremony with all the traditional trappings of Catholic worship, unquote. The ceremony was held at the parish of Our Lady of Merced, located in the Tierra del Fuego provincial capital. Severely aggravating circumstances make this act particularly symbolic. 1. The contracting parties are two prominent figures in the provincial government, One is the province's secretary of education, and the other is the undersecretary for diversity. Two. The provisional governor and several cabinet members participated in the ceremony. Three. Also present was the former governor, under whose mandate, in 2009, the first same-sex quote-unquote marriage in Latin America was celebrated. Four. The religious act was officiated by the parish priest and not a secondary or unknown priest. Fifth, both the parish and the priest are run by the Salesians, the leading religious congregation in Tierra del Fuego. Thus, the church is a central and important building in the capital. Six, the gospel was read and an Our Father and Hail Mary were recited during the ceremony as, quote, the spouses exchanged their promise of fidelity, unquote. According to the press, the, quote, unquote, bride and groom received Holy Communion. Eight, the, quote, unquote, transgendered man playing the bride stated to the Telam News Agency, quote, this is a very significant moment for the LGBTIQ plus community because this place has been denied to us like so many other things. That is why we think of this as an act of reconciliation and a return home to God's house, unquote. The same, quote, unquote, transgendered man further stated that, quote, Of course, the parish priest consulted with the bishop's office, unquote. In a later statement, the bishop said that he, quote, did not authorize the religious ceremony, unquote, and that the celebrant, quote, was admonished appropriately, unquote. However, the bishop cryptically added that, quote, while we accompany all people without exception to their legitimate desire to receive God's blessing, We note that in this case, there was no sacrament of marriage as the church believes and upholds, Since the Pope is from Argentina, everyone knows that he closely follows everything happening in his native country. Both Catholic and public opinion could interpret his silence on this scandalous and sacrilegious ceremony as tacit approval of all that happened. Let Pope Francis speak out. This concludes Pope Francis, the faithful need clear teaching, which is consistent with church doctrine. Thank you so much for listening. Return to order of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, We ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So, by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book, which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvat's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through the website www.returntoorder.org or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2021 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.